Welcome to yet again another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee it's a total waste of electrons and you get to hear stuff. This is another episode. Uh, This episode, if we're we're counting down the numbers, is episode 485. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Holy crap. Uh, And we're in the pandemic still, although we're we're slowly crawling our way out of it. Uh, It's another semi-quarantine evening. Uh, and tonight it's fun with publishing. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, the whole world is still caught up on, on zoom and, and, and Skype and the rest of that crap. So we're using the paired back cast again. I did talk to Kriana and, uh, and, uh, and Zombrarian. Oh, and I, and, and commander, I had breakfast with, with, uh, with, uh, the dead redhead and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, Illustrator X. Illustrator X this morning. And Illustrator X said hi to everybody and wants you to let you know that the Four Color House of Comics is still alive and well and doing, doing, he's doing wonderfully and wants to let you know he's never coming back to do the show. (laughs) (laughs) Although he may come, he may come back for the 500th anniversary. Let's twist his arm. And, uh, so, Commander, how are you doing tonight at the uh, Area 51 Help Desk and Snack Bar? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've, I've got it uh, pretty much well stocked. I've got whatchamacallits on my left, and I've got Reese's Pieces on my right, and this weird little guy with this bulbous head and this light on his finger keeps asking for more. But, you know, you know, guys, he's, 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 I had to cut him off. He's, he's did, starting to act drunk. Did you get the Dr. Pepper yet? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got, I got it in the huge, huge, huge casks, you know. Perfect. It's the draft kind. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So what do you do with a guy who uh, started off his uh, career in, of all things, uh, working... Uh, in, in San Diego as the uh, as what? Well, as the financial analyst in San know, Diego. I uh, well, you know, I, I grew up in Pakistan. So when you come from that part of the world, you do your typical stuff. You get a good <laughs> education, you get a good education and something that's meaningful by uh, Pakistani or Indian standards. Which gotcha. means something that will make a lot of money. So of course you either become, you know, a doctor or you try to go into Wall Street or whatever. So I actually became a portfolio manager for fixed income securities. 
And what uh, I was originally, I worked in the Middle East also with the bank, doing some options and futures and options. And then I ended up in San Diego working for the city of San Diego, managing, they had a portfolio of a couple of billion dollars, uh, which they use money for various projects and stuff like that. And there's a team of people. Now, some municipalities outsource it. Some like to have their own team who manages it. They did their own team. So that is what the job was in San Diego. I basically managed that portfolio. And uh, from and there, and from there, somehow, you opened up your own publishing house. Yes, sir. Uh, and God bless you, Ark Manor LLC is one of the most diverse and wonderful publishing houses around. And we're going to get into not only how you made that jump, because that's one hell of a cool jump, number one, but some of the people who you're publishing and how you got to publish some of these, some of these wonderfully cool people. So, so how, how did this, first of all, how, where did this love of science fiction come from? Actually, Dom, why don't you actually first introduce the gentleman first so everybody else knows who we're talking to? Oh, screw that. Did I not, like, <laughs> bother with the name or anything? Uh, Our guest tonight is okay. Shahid Mahmood. Shahid, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you. Shit, I knew I forgot to do something. <laughs> I, 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 I like the show already. <laughs> Damn, I knew I forgot to do something. The important stuff is, really, nobody cares about my name. What they care about is why the heck am I publishing Heinlein? Here's this cool guy. What's his name? Nah, never mind that. (laughs) (laughs) So So, how did did you, where where did this love of sci-fi come from? Well, the love from sci-fi actually comes from, I think, which impacted a lot of people worldwide. And I think people in the U.S. don't realize how much of an impact it had globally was Star Trek. Ah, there you go. Uh, when I was growing up in Pakistan, my father, for some reason, started watching Star Trek. I was very young then. This was like, must have been like late 60s, early 70s. I would be in my, you know, elementary school. And I kind of thought it was really cool spaceships and all that so i remember my 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 father got special permission for me from my mother to watch it with him because it was used to come on late at night and so we used to watch and i still remember the first episode i watched which was the one with that lizard guy i don't know what that thing you know where gorn yes yes of yes, course. yes 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 and 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 i was just awestruck you know like <laughs> oh my god what the heck is going on and from there on i just kind of uh, developed a love for comic books and, and 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 science fiction and all that stuff uh one of the good things about being an ex british colony was we used to get a lot of English language books, both from Britain and and the U.S., but a lot from Britain. But then, you know, every good science fiction book published here would be published by a British publisher anyway, and a bunch of them would come to Pakistan. So I would actually buy them. And in fact, I had a deal with my bookstore, local bookstore while I was in school there in high school, that he would save one copy of every science fiction book that would come. And that whenever I could, I would swing by and pick them all up. But we didn't used to get that many. You know, you wouldn't get like 500. You might get like five or ten in a month uh, that would come by so 
that's how I got into science fiction and I never gave uh, gave up on it. And it's been my it's something I've always loved. So at that point, you you come to the U.S., you get your degree in finance at Columbia University. Yes. You you, you start doing all this number crunching stuff, bloody, 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 bloody. And, it, and at one point you say, you know, the hell with this. I'm going to start publishing science fiction. How do you how do you make that jump? You make that jump because you realize you're looking at the clock to see what time you go home. <laughs> and, and you realize. Hell, you I've been doing that my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> then you got to change your job. And I realized, heck, I'm earning a good amount of money and all that. But I'd probably die of a heart attack at some point, And my darn kids are going to enjoy that money. So might as well do something I enjoy. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, so it, it, it really obviously was a I still I had three kids. They all three had to go to college. So it was a bit of a risky thing. But I must give credit to my wife, who was extremely supportive. Uh, and and she actually came. What happened was we were in San Diego. She we made a deal. She said, OK, let's move back to the East Coast where her family was so that we get to know her family a little more. She's pretty close to them. And I'll hold down a proper job and you can do whatever this crazy thing it is that you want to do for a few years. But after a few years, like three or four years, if it's not working out, you get a proper job. Uh, and I said, fine, it's a fair enough deal. And uh, so we moved back to, you know, from San Diego to the Washington, D.C. area. I set up my publishing company. She got a job, so took care of all the insurance, you know, all that sort of stuff. And fortunately, uh, I guess I was just very fortunate. And with a bit of luck, things just took off uh, in a really nice way. And so here it, I am. So explain to me how things what did you think was going to happen when you moved to Maryland <clears throat> from the West Coast? First of all, you're freezing your butt off because you moved yes, to the I West am. Coast. <laughs> yes, I am. And, but, and you moved to the East Coast. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to you're going to like find these guys and, and you, you, you know, what do you know? What do you think? You know, how are you going to make this happen? Well, um. I've always loved books. Uh, I think, you know, I started my Amazon book the year, the year, the year they opened up just buying books from them. Uh, and like I said, science fiction, you know, just reading science fiction. Uh, but I was also interested in technology. And around that time, I moved from San Diego, I think it was in 2005. Around that time, publishing was really changing. Yes. Not in terms of ebooks, but POD was coming on it, so coming very on very strongly. You had people like, you know, Lightning Source, which is Ingram, and Book Surge, which eventually became Create Space, has now been merged into Kindle. These are all companies that were emerging with print on demand and stuff. And I thought, well, you know, let's give it a shot. New technologies, whenever new technologies come up, there's always some opportunity, you know, I'm I'm not going to be competing with Tor or Macmillan or whatever, but can I find a niche that I can I can I, I can I can at least earn a living doing something that I really enjoy. And 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 that POD is where I went in. I, at that point, I wasn't doing ebooks. I started off with POD and and fortunately, a few authors I contacted early on 
were helpful uh, and supportive and who had all been published by other major publishers, but their books were out of print at that time and were willing to give me uh, a chance, let's say. And so they gave me the chance. And after that, you know, it just kind of word of mouth and just, you know, they talking to other authors. It's a small community that, hey, this guy seems to know what, you know, he's doing a good job. He treats us well. And uh, one thing led to the other. And, uh, you know, here I am. And you give yourself a nice mix of science fiction authors uh, from from who are kind of like legacy authors like Edgar Rice Burroughs, yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, <clears throat> um, 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 and, and uh, some guys that you know are are really strong fringe authors as well. Uh, who 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 have a strong following along the edges. Yes. Uh, so you, you know you're catching people at all different portions of the sci-fi universe, and then you've got people like David Drake and Paul Cook and Jack Chalker and. If people are really into science fiction, they recognize these names. Alexei Panchin, Larry Niven, Andrew Norton, Stephen Savell, Mike Resnick, uh, Charles Sheffield. And I'm going, how do you how do you get people like this to talk to you, much less go, uh, yeah, let's 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 do this. I think. There's something actually I've asked myself a number of times. How the heck am I doing this? Uh, you know, like I said, I grew up in Pakistan. I could not even have dreamt I would actually be talking to one of these authors, let alone publishing their works. Uh, I, let me give you a little example, which I found interesting. Uh, a few years ago, I went back home to my father's house and I found a copy of Santiago, which was Mike Resnick's big bestseller. Right, 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 right. His original publication, which I had bought in high school when it first came out and I read, and this old copy was still sitting there on the shelf. And I got such a thrill because you know what? At that point, Mike Resnick was editing Galaxy's Edge, the magazine I published. Wow. I couldn't, you know, you can't imagine what a different world that was back then when I was growing up. And here I was, and it was that book, and I brought it back and I showed it to Mike, who thought it, who thought it was the greatest thing ever, that this is the book I bought in Pakistan, in Lahore, growing up, and here I am working with you. Uh, one thing I found in this field, uh, most authors are actually very approachable. You just need to give them the due respect and approach them in the right way. Uh, they are willing to talk to you. They're willing to help you. And it's a small community. They talk to each other. And I think that's what's really helped me. Uh, I have very good relationship with most, actually all the authors I deal with. Uh, I mean, they don't need to come to me. They could go to, you know, Perry Turtledove can go to any any publisher he wants to. Uh, but the sure. reason he likes dealing with me is like we become we become friends and, you know, he likes what I do for them. I I can't 
afford to give them the advance like Tor would give them or whatever. But I know at least in one case where an author accepted half the advance from me than a major was publishing just because they thought that I would do a better job with the project. Uh, and because they knew you care about what it is you're doing. Exactly. And, and, and I asked him later on again about it. And he said, well, over time, actually, I'll make more money off you also. Because <laughs> I tend to give royalties on time. I give them better royalties than over. And the guy figured out that over a few years, yeah, the advance is what it is. But if the royalties start coming in, he'd actually make mon- more money with me. But I mean, you know, but it really is a relationship thing. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's a, uh, it's just been an incredible journey that way. How many times do you think it is the fact that it's a small company that revolves around independent relationships rather than a large company that revolves around being a large company? I think it has a lot to do with it. Uh, science fiction, uh, most of the companies, I mean, whether you take, you know, or, or whatever. These are all set up by people who love, uh, who love the genre. Uh, and uh, I think of the majors. Uh, only Bain is like left, which is kind of independent. Daw is somewhat, but they've all become such corporate entities that I think a lot of these authors miss that old feel of being part of the community with the publishing company itself. Uh, you know, when now Tor is just, it's, it's a Macmillan, it's an arm of Macmillan. So, be, it, and a lot of the decisions are made by, you know, at the corporate level. And in fact, there's been a major cleanup there, which shocked me. Uh, some of the authors that let go and stuff like that. It's a very bottom line uh, run business. And I please, I, it's not a criticism. It's it's, it's the way they've evolved. It's, and that's it's fine. the way the world has become. It's yeah. the way the world has become. It is not at all a criticism. But there are people who I think are willing to then move to smaller publishers like me uh, and experiment uh, uh, with that. Uh, the big problem with small publishers is there are with POD and ebooks, it's so easy to become, quote unquote, a publisher that there are literally hundreds of us coming up all over the place uh, and and and. and and it becomes important, who do you trust? With me now, of course, the big advantage is that I can refer to them to any of these big names I author. You know, when you say you've published Heinlein, you, you immediately gain legitimacy because they know the Heinlein state can go to pretty much anyone they want. Sure. Uh, so, so I think I have been very fortunate in that respect. Somehow or the other, I got some of these big names. And that has given me, in a way, a best of both worlds. I'm a small publisher. I can accommodate whatever the needs of an author may be. At the same time, I have uh, the type of authors I've published gives me a certain legitimacy that almost kind of overlaps some of the other major publishers, in a way, if you understand what I mean. Absolutely. So I I have a couple of questions about a couple of authors and a couple of books that have come out through you. Mm-hmm. And the first one is uh, Ben Bova's last book, which has just got released or is getting released in the next couple of weeks. Yes, sir. It's going to get released uh, soon. 
I think June 15th. Okay. So yeah. let's talk about that for just a minute, if we can. Yep. Uh, the title of that book is, and I'm searching for it. Power Challenges. Power Challenges. Yes. And over the years, uh, Sci-Fi Saturday Night had a great relationship with Ben Bova. Uh, he was on the show two or three times. Uh, he was uh, always a gentleman with us. Uh, always was very generous with his time with us. Uh, he, both when we were on terrestrial radio and when we moved uh, to our uh, to our uh, our uh, podcast format here, and uh, he was always wonderful with us. He was a wonderful storyteller and and just a, a fun guy. And how was your relationship with uh, Dr. Ben? Unfortunately, I didn't really know Ben Bova that well. Uh, his, unlike a lot of the other authors I deal with, uh, I had just started working with him just before his demise. So it was a very amiable relationship, but I had not really gotten to know him well, unfortunately. Uh, and a lot of my dealings had been through his uh, agent, Eleanor Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, originally when, when, when she offered the book to me uh, and uh, and we bought it. After that, I did have some back and forth with him, uh, but I never met the gentleman. Everything I've heard of him sounds like I really missed out. I guess he seems to have been this great guy and obviously a giant in the field. Uh, but unfortunately, I'm going to give you that boring answer that I really didn't know him that well. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the... the great things about whenever you get a chance to talk with any of the grandmasters, which Ben was, yes, uh, most definitely, is that there there are things that you you get from a grandmaster that you never get from anybody else in the industry. Yes. And and uh, the, the stories that he could tell about himself and, and the other people, his, the other peers of that time were just <laughs> yep. tremendous. And, uh, I know exactly what you mean because I've been with Bob Silverberg and, you know, I know him fairly well uh, and a few others. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, like I said, with them, I, and I really do regret that. Uh, I mean, with this whole, the suddenness of his death, you know, I was actually so excited to get this book from him. And the reason I got the book was I worked with Elena, his agent on a number of other projects, which have been very successful. So, he had some problem with Tor, so she came to me and I said, Yo, Ben Bova, what do you mean? Like, you know, obviously I'll publish him. Oh, no, and we I don't want that guy. He's nothing yeah, but trouble. Yeah, yeah. He's a hack. Who wants him yeah. around? So, <laughs> so, you know, and I just, you know, we started emailing back and forth and then suddenly out of the blue, it was like such a shock, uh, you know, to all I of us. I think it was a shock to everyone. Yeah. I mean, I really wasn't aware that he had died until we got this, the, uh, the thing that his book was coming out posthumously. And I went, exactly. wow. Yeah. Holy and, crap. Uh, and, Where did and, that come out of? Yeah. And I think Tor also has one of his books, but that was written earlier, but they held it back. Uh, so I just found out about that, that there may be another book. So this may not be the last published book, probably the last written book. I don't know. I have no idea what, <laughs> what it is. But to, yeah, I think Tor is holding on maybe to one of his works. 
so when when you get a book like this, it comes through the agent usually. Typically, yes. Especially uh, these major authors uh, typically will uh, the agent will approach me a lot of times. Now, having said that, uh, a number of these authors, like I said, know me fairly well, and some of them will come to me and say, "Do you want to do this?" And I'll say yes, and then they'll tell the agent, "Could you please work it out with Shahid?" Uh, for example, uh, I published uh, Harry Turtle of Salamis uh, in his historical series. Uh, he and I know each other fairly well, have gotten to know each other fairly well, and it was at a world con. He said, Shahid, why aren't you publishing a book of mine? I said, Terry, I can't afford you. And he says, <laughs> okay, what can you afford? And I gave him a number. He said, okay, I'll tell my agent to, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Wow, that was tough negotiating. Nice job. <laughs> uh, but like I said, you know, a lot of these guys are just very nice. And, uh, uh, and you know, what can I say? They, they, they've just been extremely helpful. Uh, you know, when, when I, I found that when you get into a relationship like this, it's kind of like, a handshake and an understanding is worth more than virtually anything else. It is, sir. And I i won't name it, but there is actually, which I should not be doing and my lawyer will kill me uh, <laughs> as an author. I, I know, because I do the same damn thing all the time. <laughs> there is an and, author whose books I publish on a handshake. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a pity we have become so legalistic. And again, it's the way the world is. You know, it's not a complaint again. But we do live in that sort of a litigious world. But every now and then you do run across someone where I would feel comfortable doing that. I've done that with a couple of people. And it's never come back to bite me. It came back to bite me once, and I knew it was going to happen anyway. But, oh, okay. you know, just every once in a while, you kind of go, yeah, fine. Yeah. I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. But for the most part, I, I usually feel, for the most part, if if I can't work that way, I shouldn't be working it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk to you because uh, when I looked you up, now I got to tell you, when 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 we got sent by our mutual friend your name mm-hmm. and what this interview was going to be about, I went, okay, I got to look this guy up and figure out who this guy is. <laughs> Because it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know, because it didn't. And you got you understand that, right? Oh, fully. I fully understand that. <laughs> so you probably I, like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> what the hell is he doing? <laughs> yeah. And how the hell did he do it? Yeah. So I started looking up, like, press releases and stuff. And, and, and I found this. I found this thing. And it made no sense. Uh, uh, it was in Locust Magazine, and it was from uh, February of 2019, mm-hmm. about a book that you had put together from Robert Heinlein. Yes, The Pursuit of the Pankera. And it was a book that was part of The Number of the Beast. 
Yes. Now, this was an ugly rumor for years. And I remember the rumor. Mm -hmm. And the rumor was that there was actually three books. Mm -hmm. And he started one book, didn't like it, threw it away, and his Virginia wouldn't let it be published. Yes. And that was actually something that became very popular with uh, Patterson did a very good biography of uh, Heinlein. And he mentions that in that, that there was a, this lost uh, manuscript which had never been published because Virginia Heinlein had thought it was not good enough to be published. And Virginia, after his death, became the arbiter of anything that got published. Yes, and this happened to a number of people over the years where somebody took control over their work and a number of things just got lost or got locked away. Now, how the hell did you get hold of this? Well, it was actually out there in the academic archives. People had just not looked at it as carefully as I had to, because what happened was uh, I'd been republishing a number of Heinlein's older books, I've, you know, and one of the contracts that came my way was for The Number of the Beast. Which is which is an incredible book, by the way. For any of you, the original format that, that, that got out there was wonderful. Okay. I might be on the other side of that, as it is one of the most, I think, liked or disliked controversial books one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be honest, but okay. even, You're even though I publish it now, by the way, I shouldn't. Oh, maybe I should not be saying that. I'm the publisher. <laughs> of the book. You're entitled. <laughs> but yes, so there is a I, there is this rumor of a third one, but I don't. That's a weak one. But the two, yes, there were definitely two manuscripts. And like I said, uh, Patterson did this biography of his in which he quoted, uh, you know, he, which he researched and said Virginia had kind of put her foot down. But there's another problem with the alternate version of the book. It, this, this, there are copyright issues with that. For example, if you, you know, you like the number of the bees, so you'll know that there's a huge reference to Barsoom in that thing. Yes, there is. In the pursuit of the Penkera, they actually go to Barsoom and interact with some of the characters from the original universe. Mm -hmm. You can't just do that and publish it. <laughs> well, Not if back you're Bob Heinlein, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but his publisher might have been a bit wary. So, and 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 the Heinlein estate, even right now, was extremely concerned, even though. All the material is in the public domain, but his use of both the that universe, E.E. E. Doc Smith's Lensman universe is more right. extensively used in this book. Right, right, right. He was very concerned about litigation as well. Wow. And it's not that it's just in the public domain. You just don't want to get into property fights. You know, it's just expensive uh, getting into it. So it took me about... Well, let me backtrack. When I got the contract for the number of the beast, I became aware of this. I was talking to the Heinlein estate, and I realized that after the first one third of the book, the book is totally different. There's a hundred thousand words, which is totally different. 
totally different storyline. Holy shit. And it's fascinating. The divergence occurs when they make the first jump in the ship. So they actually go to two different parallel universes, one in the number of the beast and the other one in the what we started, we call them the pursuit of the Pinkera. Wow. And the pursuit of the Pinkera is actually in many ways a much more traditional Heinlein. You know, in the number of the beast, it's kind of a strange book in the sense that it doesn't follow the typical Heinlein resolution and stuff like that. There's the party scene and his friends and all that. Mm -hmm. The other version actually stays focused on the guys, the bad guys in the black hats or whatever they are, Mm -hmm. uh, and basically comes to a very Heinleinian conclusion as they pursue them. And that's why the book is named The Pursuit of the Pankera, which which was not Heinlein's name. He just left a manuscript, but I worked with the estate to come up with the name because that the book basically is about their pursuit of the bad guys and the conclusion to that. Uh, so it's 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 a fascinating book that way. I, you know, I don't think it's one of his greatest works, but I definitely think it's certainly a fairly respectable Heinlein and and and, and a fairly more coherent storyline in many ways than the number of the beast. Uh, and anyway, so we were working on it and, and, and the Heinlein states, I asked them whether they would be willing to let me try and publish it. They said yes, but the condition they put on was that I make sure that there was no copyright issue. So it took me about two years or so working with the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate and the Doc Smith estate and all that, particularly the, the Burroughs estate. It's kind of tricky when you go to them and say, you know, I'm going, I'm publishing a book which uses your assets, but I'm not going to pay you anything because I don't have any money uh, to do that. <laughs> so that can be a couple of. So years. you don't mind, really? Yeah. You know, it's it's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, the but, problem but, is, it was actually done yeah. before. But but in offense, they were very helpful, and eventually they did give me permission. They just asked for certain copyright information to be included in the book. Uh, so that's how we did it. And then we put it all together. The beauty of it is it is 100 percent Heinlein. Uh, it is that we didn't need to get another author to fill up. The whole manuscript was discovered. It was in pieces and we had to kind of reconstruct it from the different pieces we found. For some reason, it had not survived as one complete thing, but put together, the whole book was there. And uh, and well, the rest is history. And if nothing else, you know. So this Whatever. now sits in your in your in your system as the number of the beast, a parallel novel about parallel universes. Yes, sir, because that's it is basically about the same universe as in the number of the beast. But when they make the first jump, they go to a different universe. Holy crap. I mean, I honestly never knew that that book actually existed as that. Yeah, it did. I first heard about this, actually, someone, apparently a copy of that had been circulated at one of the world cons right after he wrote it. Yes, I'd heard heard that ugly rumor. Yep, and it is apparently true because one of the gentlemen, I I was attending a convention in San Diego, Condor, and one of the gentlemen there, and I've forgotten his name, unfortunately, I was chatting with him, and he had been there and actually seen the book being circulated. Wow. He didn't have a copy, but, you know, we got talking and all that about it because, you know, it was just fascinating. Uh, And uh, but anyway, so here it is. And you know what? 
I could drop dead tomorrow, achieve nothing else, but I got to publish the last darn book from Heinlein. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you've, you've, here, here's your legacy, man. Congratulations. Yes. That's, by the way, the first question people ask me, because I'm a really small publishing company, is how the heck did you get that book? <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's not just that. I mean, you've, you've, you've thrown some pretty cool crap against the wall and made it stick. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's that thing of do pursue what you love. I guess doesn't always work out, but in my case, it I was fortunate enough where it did, and it stuck. Congratulations, totally. Thank man. you, thank you. Congratulations. So, w- what's coming up for you and and for the imprint in, in the coming months? Well, we. What happened was I was doing most a lot of my work was uh, reprint still, and that's still a lot of my bread and butter. I work, you know, with we are like the publisher for Jack Chalker. We are the publishers now for the Camp. In fact, another highlight of my career was when the DeCamp family asked me to represent them at uh, at the Worldcon in London when his short stories were up for a Hugo. So I went as the represent as the publisher representative for the retro Hugo. Uh, that they did, which was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Uh, uh, you know, who would have imagined I would actually be representing, you know, the camp for a for a, for a Hugo? Unbelievable, huh? Um, uh, it to- totally is. I mean, it blows me away. Sometimes I kind of really literally think I, I still can't. Uh, it, 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 I find it hard to believe it sometimes. You know where I am. Uh, but uh, coming up, you've got a bunch of exciting things. Uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is a book about relationships and science fiction written by all female or or non-binary authors. I have to say that, uh, but no male authors. And it's a book that actually has a couple of poems in it also. And we were able to get participation by uh, authors like Jane Yolen, uh, John McGuire and a bunch of other really good ones. And it's an anthology that I'm really looking forward to. That should be out, I think, in February of next year. Uh, we have the manuscript. Uh, Ed Lerner is creating another series for us. I love his hard science. I've, I've always loved hard science fiction. And he writes great hard science oh, fiction. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So, you know, given all the thing about Mars, the, so I've just entered into a contract with him where he's going to write a book on, uh, on, on, on Mars exploration and setting up the colony and then perhaps extending from there as the Mars colony becomes independent and moves out into the, you know, asteroid systems and beyond and things like that. So that that should be a lot of fun. Uh, and I don't know, one of, of author I've always loved, but has he's not a very popular author i don't know if you would remember him called mike flynn he wrote a few books uh recently uh he wrote something called eiffelheim and all which i think was one of the best written books and the way he uses language uh, that i'd read recently he's writing a book for me about uh, uh generation ships so a lot of these are like more classic themes and all that, but then that's what I grew up with and that's what attracts me more than anything else. So that's where we're going. You know, it's it, 
it seems to me as if science fiction itself, the more it becomes more all-encompassing and more divergent, the more it remains true to its core. And its core is to be looking towards a positive future and and bringing people into its fold by understanding its past and looking with eyes and wonder towards wherever it is it's bringing us. And, and I can't thank people like you for, for reminding us what the past is as you bring it, bring us towards the future. Our guest tonight has been a, a driving force towards reminding us what the future of, of publishing science fiction should be all about. Saheed Mahmood, thank you so much, man, for coming by tonight. No, thank you, really. It was a pleasure, truly. Man, you're welcome on our show any damn time. <laughs> okay. I might take you up on that. You should. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much, and uh, I'll talk to you hopefully at some point later. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con. Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, my Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at RobWattsOnline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp and a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. That sounds good. That sounds perfect.